In the Lord, you can help yourself because Christianity is not a sham. Living with Christ is not a sham. He touches us in our hearts. No matter what your past is, there is deliverance in Jesus Christ. There is redemption in Jesus Christ. As the scriptures talk about, many were were you, but you were saved, but you were sanctified, but you were set apart. He has something better for us, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor. You see, he gives instruction, he gives sanctification. There is a way that he has for us. Okay, we are reading in the prophet Isaiah, and we are in chapter uh, chapter 3, in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 3. And um, this portion is talking about, the portion that we're in is talking about what it's going to be in, in, the, uh, in the tribulation period. This seven years, slightly less than our seven years of, of, uh, of um, a real turmoil that's going to come on the earth. And then what we're going to do is, so, so we see this, and again, it's often easy to relate this and say, okay, well, this is going to come on another generation, or this is what's going to come on Jerusalem and Judah, because that's really what Isaiah is written about he focuses in right on Jerusalem and and the state of of, of Judah, but how does it relate to us? Why why is God sharing some of this with us? All right, so let's let's overlap. We'll overlap a little bit from where we were last week. We're going to start at Isaiah chapter three verse eight. Isaiah chapter three verse eight. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their actions are against the Lord, to rebel against His glorious presence. The expression of their faces bears witness against them, and they display their sin like Sodom. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Say to the righteous that it will go well with them, for they will eat the fruit of their actions. Woe to the wicked, it will go badly with them. For what he deserves will be done to him. O my people, their oppressors are children, and women rule over them. O my people, those who guide you lead you astray and confuse the direction of your paths. The Lord arises to contend and stands to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard and the plunder of the poor is in your house. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. So we see in verse, in verse 8, again, he talks about Jerusalem, and he, and he talks about Judah, and he, he, talk, he, he tells us why this has come upon them, because their speech and their actions are against the Lord. When speech and actions are against the Lord, it compounds and it comes upon them. It says to rebel against His glorious presence. The expression of their faces bears witness against them and they display their sin like Sodom. They do not even conceal it. So remember, Sodom and Gomorrah are used for for an expression of God's overwhelming judgment that comes upon people. And again, he's relating this to being like Sodom. And he says they haven't even, 
They haven't even concealed this anymore. They're very open about it. And then he says, they do not even conceal it. Woe to them. So this is this warning, these woes that come down upon them. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. They've brought evil on themselves. And, and God has warnings for us today. These are warnings that we cannot take lightly. And we'll, we'll look at, at one, one of those warnings. So if you look in Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 3. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 3. I want you to think about what he's warning us, because this is now in the New Testament, and this is where the application comes to us. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So you see this amazing warning that comes down, which is so contrary to the teachings of our own generation. He says there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So he is speaking now to believers. He's not speaking of unbelievers. He's very much speaking to believers, because he says this is improper for God's holy people. For there should be no obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jesting. I remember when I, when I came to the Lord, uh, uh, before I knew the Lord, my mouth was really foul. And I, I, I grew up in, in the New York area, and this is just the way we spoke. And, uh, um, and I remember when I came to the Lord, my, my speech immediately had to start changing. And when I would use that old kind of speech... Immediately, I'd get touched in my heart by the Holy Spirit. Something happened in my heart because of this. And he's saying, we're going we're gonna to get you cleaned up. He says, there should be no obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this, you can be sure. Think about this. For this, you can be sure. That means it has to happen this way. When God says, it will happen, shall happen, or it will be sure. This means for sure it is going to happen. Remember, heaven and earth could never even stop this from happening because God has said to be sure this is going to be ha happening. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater. So look what happens in the New Testament. You know, I have Orthodox Jewish friends, and they think that, that the New Testament is very weak because they live under all of these 613 commandments. Well, we're not under those 613 commandments of the Law of Moses, but we are under other things, and in many ways, it is a higher barrier for us. Jesus has raised the bar for us. We don't have to worry about what we touch, what we eat, where we sit, but we have to worry about what affects our hearts. 
And the whole thing is changed now. He says, no immoral, impure, or greedy person. Then he says, such a person is an idolater. So look at what he equates with idolatry. He now equates with idolatry, immorality, impurity. This is a sexual impurity and greed. Even greed, he's equating with idolatry. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? So this in person will have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. These are sobering words. These are sobering words for us. And he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. And this this text is not in isolation. There's another text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, reading from verse 2. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 2 onward. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. The God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So he's speaking about believers. He's not speaking about unbelievers. You see how how he's raised this standard for us. Sanctification means to be set apart. And I know the common thing is to try to avoid a lot of these topics with young people today because the world has gotten so far. And what happens when you start preaching things like this is a lot of young people will leave and not come back. They will leave and they'll not come back because they'll go to some place where these things are not taught. And the Bible talks about that. He says, you go to teachers who tickle your ears. And, uh, and you can try to run from this, but it will continue to follow you because God wants to get hold of your heart. It's if he's filled you with the Holy Spirit, you cannot get away from these things, but it will destroy your life. Sanctification means to be set apart. He says, for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. These are commandments by the authority of the Lord Jesus. A commandment is something that he has for us. The New Testament is filled with commandments for us, at least 150 commandments in the New Testament. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. We want you to be set apart. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. This feeling that people have that I I just can't help myself. In the Lord, you can help yourself because Christianity is not a sham. Living with Christ is not a sham. He touches us in our hearts. No matter what your past is, there is deliverance in Jesus Christ. There is redemption in Jesus Christ. As the scriptures talk about, many were were you, but you were saved, but you were sanctified, but you were set apart. He has something better for us. 
that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor. You see, he gives instruction, he gives sanctification. There is a way that he has for us. He says, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So he concedes that the people of the world are walking in this. He says, this is not for you. He has something else for us. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. He says, don't transgress your brother, meaning that don't be sleeping with your brother's wife. You better really watch out. And remember what the Bible warns us. He says, he who touches his neighbor's wife will in no way go unpunished. You want to get punishment? You go after another man's wife. Woman, you want to get punishment? You go after, you start hitting on men who are married. There is real punishment in that. And then he says, and, and then he says, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but for sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. There are these teachings, and why would God have these teachings for us? It's because this is a blessing in our lives. These things of immorality will follow us into marriage. Yes, we can repent of them, but they'll follow us. And he wants to deliver us from this. He really wants to deliver us from this. He wants to deliver us from the pain of this. So when we read about this in the book of Isaiah, these people were practicing the same thing to the point where they didn't even hide it anymore, but they flaunted it. And in our society too, we've always had bad neighborhoods. We've always had things going on. But now we take it and we're bringing it right in, even into elementary schools. And we celebrate this thing. And if you, and if you don't like it, we're some, somehow, you know, not with the times. And uh, these things are wrong. And we are to be different. We are to be different. And so he has, he has new things for us to walk in. And so he's, what he's teaching us here is a way of proper living. What he says, going back to Isaiah in chapter 9, it says, Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Then he says in verse 10, say to the righteous that they will, it will go well with them, for they will eat the fruit of their actions. Remember, Galatians 6, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatever a man sows, this he shall also reap. We reap what we have sown. We reap what we have sown in life. God has a way of bringing these things back to us. Then in verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 3, woe to the wicked, it will go badly with him, for what he deserves will be done to him. What he deserves will be done to him. This is a fact of life. What we deserve will be done to us. Then he goes in verse 12, he starts going right after the leaders. And this is something that Jesus carries right on in to the New Testament. And so much of the destruction that came upon Israel is because they followed their leaders into this path of destruction. And uh, in verse 12, it says, O my people, their oppressors are children, and women rule over them. O my people, those who guide you lead you astray and confuse the direction of your paths. So he's saying in verse 12, twice he says, O my people, O my people. So in the midst of this judgment, in the midst of the tribulation judgment, he has not forgotten his people. 
So if we think that God has somehow forgotten Israel, we're wrong. Even in the tribulation period, he's calling Israel, my people, oh my people, oh my people. He has not forgotten Israel. The church has not usurped Israel. There is a blessing for those in the church. There is a blessing for those in Israel. He calls them my people. He says, oh my people. And then, then in, in verse 12, the second half, oh my people, those who guide you, lead you astray and confuse the direction of your paths. In verse 13, he pronounces the judgment upon them. The Lord arises to contend and stands to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment with the elders and the princes of his people. So the Lord is standing in judgment against them. And we see this pattern, this pattern that, that, that is extended into the, into the New Testament. And Jesus starts correcting some of the ways that they have interpreted the law. They've taken the law and they've interpreted it in one way. And Jesus is now reinterpreting the law in a proper way. And many times you will see Orthodox Jews, and even just recently another Orthodox Jew is writing to me on the internet. He says, you know, you have this great mind in science. You do all, the, all these great things, and you're Jewish. And he, he's an Orthodox Jew. How can you do this? How can you ha- put aside the things of the, the, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, the law of Moses, and compare that to the teachings of the New Testament which are so shallow and contradictory. And I'm like, I mean, have you extracted your brain when you read the New Testament? This is often what rabbis do, and then they put their brain back in when they read the Old Testament. They do. I've seen it. And, 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 and they, they won't even give due consideration to the teachings of Jesus. So look what Jesus has to say about this. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to pick out different portions from Matthew chapter 5 reading from verse 21. See what Jesus had to say about this. Jesus is going to start speaking about, you have heard it said, and he's going to quote the Old Testament. He's going to quote the law of Moses, and now he's going to reinterpret it for us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard it said that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. So he has now quoted the Old Testament. And then he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. You see how Jesus raised the bar? Because they were teaching, if you've committed murder, now you're liable to the courts. Jesus said, you're liable even for calling your brother a fool you're liable for this. So he's raised the bar, so he reinterprets this. He says it doesn't just stop there. Now look down in verse 27. He does this again. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So you see how he raised the bar. I have had discussions with Jews in Israel about this verse. I tell them this verse was the first verse, the first time I ever felt that I was a sinner was when I read this verse. A young man shared with me a verse from from Romans chapter 3 that that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I said, I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. And I know exactly why I said that because as as a 
as a, as a secular Jew, we didn't view little things as sin. I said, I never killed anybody. I never robbed a bank. How could I be a sinner? And he turned to this verse. He turned to this verse, and it says, it says, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I knew I was a sinner. I couldn't look at a woman any other way. I'd been addicted to pornography from the age of 14. And here I was 18 years old and reading this. And immediately the conviction of God fell upon me. Jesus equated this with adultery. He, he, so now he makes adultery looking at a woman with lust for her. Jesus did this. You see how he raised this bar. Jesus reinterprets now the law. You think this law was, was restrictive. He says, I'm getting at your heart. So Jesus is now reinterpreting for us the law of Moses. He says, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. That's a quote from the law of Moses. Now Jesus reinterprets this with a much stricter guideline. Look at verse 31 of Matthew chapter 5. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So you, you see that, that Jesus again raises this bar. He doesn't say you can just write your, your wife a certificate of a divorce and say it's done. He says you're bound for life. The only exception is if she has, has been committing adultery. And even then, there's this, this, this compassion that should be shown. But if there's this constant practice, he said only then. And Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 19, this was only given because of the hardness of men's hearts. It was never intended to end this way. Verse 33 of Matthew chapter 5. Again, you have heard the ancients said, you shall not make false vows but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven or, its throne, or the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, and no, no. Anything beyond these things is evil. So because they were getting away with things. They would, the, the orthodox teaching was, well, if you didn't, if you said it in this way, you don't have to keep your promise. And Jesus said, no, if you've just said it, you're bound by this. It's not just, just uh, you know, you, you were crossing your fingers behind your back and so now it's not valid. Jesus is getting right at the heart. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He raised the bar on them. He, he did it again. Verse 38 he says, you, sh you have heard it that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Then he goes on. He says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You see, they were teaching because Moses had taught, you shall love your neighbor. Now, the Orthodox teachers were saying, and you shall hate your enemy. They tagged on, you shall hate your enemy. The first part was the law of Moses, and now their teaching was to add on to it, you shall hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise 
on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So you see, he raises this bar again. So whatever we read here, the restrictions that were upon them, they're greater than us when it gets to, to the heart situation. So you see, it relates right back. We see this again in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is addressing the religious leaders. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1 through 3 says, Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, what, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So, so they came to him. He says, we have a tradition. There was a tradition, and there is so much tradition in Judaism, particularly in Orthodox Judaism, there is so much tradition. For every law that was given of the 613 commandments, there are hundreds to thousands of laws around each of those. And those were given in good, with good intent to keep you from violating that law. But they so watered down everything, and, and it was taught, and we've gone this, through this before when we went through the Gospels, it was taught that there was a stricter penalty for violating the traditions of the elders than for violating the law itself. And then Jesus answered them in verse 3, he answered them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? He says, so you are transgressing, transgressing God's commandments for the sake of your tradition. And then he gives them examples of it. And then in verse 12, it says of that same chapter, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 12. Then the disciples came to him and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? So his disciples came to him and they're like, tone it down, Lord. You know, you're, you're offending people. It's just, you don't want to. You know, because offending somebody is the worst thing that you could possibly do. Didn't you know that? You should never offend anybody because, because you know, this is a microaggression. <laughs> and and Jesus' reply it was, but he answered and said, every plant which my father, my heavenly father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. So Jesus wasn't put off by this. He just continued on, continued on what he was doing. Again, Jesus carries on this theme toward, toward, the, uh, toward the rulers. Matthew 23, verse 23. Matthew 23, verse 23. And now Jesus is just going right after the Pharisees. You know, if, if that offended them, Wait until they hear this. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these things you should have done without neglecting the others. So he says, you, you tithe on everything. Even, even to your spices you tithe on. He says, nothing wrong with that. You should have done that. That's fine but you've neglected the weightier things, justice and mercy and faithfulness. He says, you blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. In other words, you go after this little, little thing, but you forget the weightier things. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the outside of the cup and the dish. First clean, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish so that the outside may become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those murderers, those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? I mean, imagine the Son of God saying that. Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall all the guilt of the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come on this generation. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how I often wanted to gather you as a children, as a mother, uh, uh, gather your children the way a hen gathered her chicks under her wings. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He proclaimed upon that generation destruction, and it came upon that generation and their children uh, about 35 years later in 70 AD, total destruction upon that generation. So you see, this theme that we see in the prophet Isaiah, that the leaders were drawing them astray, Jesus continued on that theme in the New Testament over and over again. And the hard words that he had here for them, Jesus had hard words for them. In in the New Testament. And so these same things, Jesus calls us to a higher level, but he never leaves us alone in this. He gives us his Holy Spirit. I am telling you, Christianity is not a sham. I have. If if you're struggling with with, uh, uh, sexual lusts overcoming you, I have on my website, if you go to jmtour.com, jmtour.com, you look under audio teachings, uh, uh, and then... uh, uh, audio files under the, 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 the uh, uh, personal topics, audio files, you will find scriptural sexual ethics. It's a six-part series. And calling upon God, I teach how you go through this. And you start at part one, you go through to part six. And this can be victory, victory in, in, for, for young people who are struggling with the sexual sins, victory for young people in marriage that are struggling in marriage with sexual problems in marriage. And happens all the time. You're not alone if you think that this is the first time. You know, you don't think this is the first time there's sexual struggles within marriage. And uh, you listen to this. Listen to it and then listen to it with your spouse and go through this. There's victory in this. And I get emails all the time from people that have heard this and it blessed them and it blessed their marriages and it changed their marriages. And uh, because there is victory in Christ, he has not left us alone in this. He has so much good for us. 
And I urge you, if you do not know the Lord, there is a destruction that awaits you. There's an utter destruction that awaits you if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I urge you this day, come to me and I will gladly share with you. We're going to have a lunch this afternoon at my home. Come to my home. We will sit together and have lunch together. 30 minutes later, you will be professing Jesus. I know it. You will be. Come and have lunch with me and get saved. And uh, uh, let your lives change because this is not a joke. This is not a sham. Jesus has victory for us. There is penalty for sin. It brings destruction in lives. It brings destruction in marriages. You say, well, I'm not married. I can do this. No, this is exactly what he's talking about. This whole idea that he's talking about. These sins will follow you. They'll follow you. If you're struggling with pornography, again, go through that series on scriptural sexual ethics. I don't judge you, my friend. I, too, struggled with that. Struggled with that until the Lord brought deliverance in my life. And there is victory in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, for the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been so good to us. So good. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the warnings that you have given. Thank you, Lord, that you gave commandments through your apostles, to warn us. And you gave us the power of the Holy Spirit to walk righteously and uprightly, to not walk according to the pattern of this world. Father, even as our own society goes so astray in these things, so astray, and talks about it as if it is good and celebrates it, Father, I pray that we would walk differently that we would walk before you differently because you have the way of life. Lord, to whom can we go? For you have words of eternal life. We have come to know that you are indeed the Son of God. You are the Christ of God. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Salvation is in you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, my Father. Thank you, my Lord. I pray, Lord, for these young people. Draw them to you. For the lost, save their souls, I pray. And I give this to you for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to give to help out with these podcasts, you can go to jesusandscience.org. All donations are tax deductible. We have no employees in this organization. All the money just goes for the contract work on the production. Thanks so much.